May the words of my mouth and the thoughts in all our hearts be forever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are 268 churches, Anglican churches, in the Diocese of Rochester. And they're all dedicated to a Jewish carpenter who died 2,000 years ago. Doesn't that strike you as a bit odd? Have you ever stopped to wonder how on earth did Christianity ever get off the ground? I mean, just consider its founder. Jesus of Nazareth was an obscure carpenter from the backwoods of the vast Roman Empire in the country of Israel. He wasn't even a priest, a civil dignitary or a military general. He didn't come from the one big city in Israel, Jerusalem, but from a rural town, Nazareth in Galilee. And as for political and religious support, the good and the great of the land didn't flock to his gospel. In fact, quite the reverse. They rejected his message. Only the common people took him to heart. And even they, at the end, deserted him. And then, of course, consider that Jesus only ministered for three years. Jesus himself wrote nothing, and at the time of his death, none of the New Testament books had even been written. Regarding his death, Jesus was put on trial on trumped-up charges and crucified. His followers fled and left him to it. They fled back to Galilee, and that should have been the end of it. In short, Jesus had all the hallmarks of a man who people wouldn't take too long to forget. Now, conventional wisdom would say that this is not the way to start a world religion. But then God does seem to have a rather interesting way of turning conventional wisdom on its head, doesn't he? Consider the resurrection of Jesus. He made some very curious claims. One of them was, I am the resurrection and the life. And when his followers claimed, like Mary Magdalene, to have seen him risen from the dead... Such a claim should have been laughed out of court. The final nail in the coffin of Christianity should have come when his disciples dared to suggest that Jesus had risen from the dead after having been crucified and certified dead by the Roman authorities. Let's face it. No one in their right mind would ever make up such a ridiculous story about someone coming back from the dead and certainly not be prepared to die for it as ten of the apostles and Paul did, for example. None of the other world's great religions has ever suggested that its founder has risen from the dead. 
So surely making such a claim was a sure way to oblivion. Unless, of course, it really happened. A previous Lord Chief Justice at the turn of the century once said that in his considered opinion regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ and having weighed up all the evidence, in its favour as living truth there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. And what of the witnesses? Take St Paul. Now he was no man's fool. He had this to say, which we heard from our reading this morning. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now there will always be people who say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Let me ask you, How many people did Paul say had witnessed the risen Christ? Answer, 514 men. Obviously, as he claimed that many of the witnesses to Christ's resurrection were still living, Paul's enemies could have refuted him by challenging him to prove it. But, if you read the book of Acts, they never bothered And I don't think there's a book in the New Testament that doesn't focus somewhere on the resurrection. For example, Peter in his first letter writes the following. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? Because the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is key to our faith. Paul put it like this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Then Christ has not been raised either. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. I suggest to you this morning that Christianity is not just a set of good moral ethics, though it embraces them, of, of course. Christianity is not simply how we worship God, though that is an important part of it. Jesus and the apostles offered the hope of life after death, and the proof of the genuineness of Jesus' teaching is that Christ was raised from the dead by God the Father. And the great message of Christianity is that we can know Christ today, now. Many Christians today can vouch for the fact <clears throat> that they know a living Saviour. A Muslim in Africa became a Christian, and some of his friends asked him why. He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going on a journey and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. If you met two men at the fork in the road, one dead and one alive, which one would you ask to show you the way? The message of Easter is just this. Jesus made a tremendous claim when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The question you have to answer is, do you believe him? Do you really believe he rose from the dead as millions of Christians over the centuries have claimed? If Easter is going to mean anything to us this year, we need to know the risen Christ in our own lives, as St. Paul and the Apostles clearly did. Now it doesn't matter how you come to Christ. Some will tell you they've known Jesus all their lives since they were children. Others will come to faith in Jesus Christ in later years. Others may have had a more Damascus Road experience, by which I was one. It makes no difference, but I for one know without a shadow of doubt, as countless others can state, that my Redeemer lives. And Job 19 tells us, In the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. To close, I want you to look at the cross on the wall behind me. Because we need to remind ourselves constantly that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified upon it. No one took his life from him. He gave it freely 
But look again at the cross. What do you see? An empty cross. This should constantly remind us every time we look at it that Jesus is risen. It is the cross of our risen Lord. Now as we continue to look, listen to the words of Jesus as he spoke to Martha after the death of Lazarus. When he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus turned to Martha and asked this burning question. A question that he asks of each of us here this morning. Do you believe this? Because in the final analysis, that is all that will ever count in your life. Will you accept Jesus today as your risen Lord and loving Saviour? And believe on him with all of your being? And if you do, then all praise and glory will be to his holy name. For he is the King of glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Harry. Friends, we're going to take a couple of moments quiet to reflect on what Harry said, and then um, we'll stand in a minute to say a creed together. So let's be quiet and pray. Yeah.